Hey, everybody, when you hear that music, you know it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. This is Jamie Retzke, and you can hear this beautiful podcast and all my other podcasts. Now uh, getting up near 70 podcasts. Uh, this will be the 14th podcast of the second season. And uh, you can hear it on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. Uh, you may even be able to hear it on my Facebook page if you go to my Facebook page. And then uh, search on the lighter side of baseball. Not to be confused with on the lighter side of sports. I keep saying on the lighter side of sports. Maybe I should have a second podcast and talk about on the lighter side of sports and the lighter side of baseball. But I don't think that's going to happen. It's just kind of funny. I keep listening to all the mistakes I make on these uh, podcasts. Uh, I listened to uh, the one I did with Craig Kashan for the fourth week in a row while we try to entertain a few people from this coronavirus, COVID-19, I had George W. Bush bombing Kuwait. I'm not sure that happened. It might have been his dad that uh, in the first Gulf War. And we were talking about headlines and newspapers and Newspaper Hall of Fame. And somehow I came up with a thought that popped into my mind from a big giant box of newspapers I collect in my basement. And, uh, and so I'm going to go through those this week because I don't have anything else to do and trying to stay quarantined in my house or go out for a walk or what have you. So I'm listening to some of these podcasts and one person said, you know, you kind of go on for a long time. It would sure help if you would take podcast number one through 64 from last year and try to edit out the highlights of each one of those podcasts. And I said, well, that is an awesome idea, an idea that I think I could, uh, I would really endorse. But I don't think I have the capabilities to do that, and I can't get together with Tyler, my production genius, uh, right now because of COVID-19. And so uh, I'm not going to be able to do that, nor am I able to take these 110-minute uh, broadcasts, podcasts, whatever you want to call them, and, and cut it down by editing out some of the stuff that's not quite as exciting. So... We'll just have to kind of plot along, and uh, I enjoy having uh, guests. I really enjoy Craig Kashan. He's so good, and he's been so good for the Milwaukee Brewers and the Milwaukee Bucks for a long time. And, uh, you know, we're having a good time going week by week by week. Uh, we had a little disagreement on when baseball might start up again. I took the position that I didn't want baseball to start until I could go see the games. And, of course, he wants to get back broadcasting. It doesn't matter where. And I understand that. I certainly uh, can understand his position and lots of other positions. I think the, the impediment's going to be that the players don't want to expose themselves to this disease unnecessarily. They don't want to you know, isolate themselves from their wife and children. And they want some normalcy if they're going to play. Now... Is that the opinion of guys that have been in the league four or five years and have, you know, several million bucks in the bank and don't really need the money to keep living for a year? I don't know. Do the rookies want to play? I haven't seen any statistics about breaking it down, but uh, I've got to believe that in this particular controversy, I'm on the right side, and uh, we'll just see where it plays out. I've heard various people opine on all sorts of different theories, and uh, they're all ridiculous. I mean, it's just a money grab for the for the uh, TV money for the playoffs. Not that uh, that's a shock to anybody, but uh, be that as it may, I mean, I think that, uh, <laughs> to me, 
as a season ticket holder, if I can't go to the games, then don't play them. I'm not dying to watch TV baseball with nobody in the stands and the players. I, I just don't get it. And uh, I think no matter what, I mean, if they break up leagues and do, uh, uh, you know, spring training sites, that's ridiculous. They go to Japan to play. That's ridiculous. If they play all the games, you know, every hour on the hour in uh, at Chase Field in, in uh, Phoenix, that's ridiculous. Now, if fans can go to the spring training sites and watch the games in Arizona or Florida, that's fine. But like I said before, the governors ain't going to allow that. Nobody's going to allow that. Let's, let's, let's stay focused and in the meantime, just watch old games. And, uh, you know, I've... I watched I watched the old game today, and the best part about watching some of these games are the broadcasters. I watched, and again, this you know it's not like my life is any more lame than anybody else's. We're all at home, so we all do different things to try to keep our uh, our wits about us. And occasionally, I'll turn on the TV or I'll start podcasting. And I mean, I'm podcasting a lot more now than I did before. And I'm trying to get some people that are different to be on just for a break. But the audience has grown, and I appreciate that. And I've got to figure out a way to have people email me questions, uh, maybe to my Facebook page. I don't know. I need a tutor in Facebook, in Instagram, Twitter, what have you. And uh, so far, I've got failing grades on all of those and maybe barely a passing grade on the podcast. Who knows? Uh, I hope it's enjoyable. But anyway... Um, so I'm watching uh, Vin Scully do opening day somewhere. Then a few hours later, I listen to Vin Scully, which is, you know, if I could listen to Vin Scully, Mel Allen, Bob Uecker, uh, you know, I love Dwayne Statz, Tom Hamilton, you know, going back to some of the older guys. Uh, man, can you get Red Barber on this? Uh, you probably can, YouTube Red Barber. Um, anyway. So it's Jackie Robinson Day, which today is Jackie Robinson Day, April 13th, every year, Jackie Robinson Day. And it's the 100-year anniversary of the Negro League Museum. And they're not getting their, you know, they're not getting their due. It's just unfortunate that this is all going on for them and for lots of other reasons. But on this Jackie Robinson game opener, it might have been 2009, and uh, the teams were the Giants at... Chavez Ravine or Los Angeles Dodger Stadium, whatever the Dodger dog home is. And uh, so I'm watching and I'm listening to Vin Scully and you got Manny Ramirez playing and uh, it's a pretty good game. Bob Howry, the, you know, one of the five human rain delays in baseball, a hell of a good pitcher. And, uh, but, you know, he, he, he's slow. Oh, my goodness. He was slow with the Cubs. You could leave my house, walk around the block and and come back and not, not miss a beat and, uh, or a pitch. So there it is, bottom of the ninth, uh, base is loaded. Boshi comes out for the third or fourth time, takes out Howry after he had taken out other people, brings in Brian Wilson, not to be confused with the Beach Boys' Brian Wilson. Wouldn't it be? No, I'm not going to sing. So at any rate, we've got this uh, walks the bases loaded, and what does that tell you? I mean, I'd like to see the statistics for when you walk the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning or later, how that works for the visiting team. Didn't work so good this time. First out comes on a 
bobbled ball by the shortstop who throws late to home plate, but they get the out. Can't turn the double play. The next batter comes up, and wouldn't you know it, ball four, a walk-in, walk-off home run. Not a home run. See, there again, another. I mean, if you go back to my podcasts, mistake after mistake. A walk-off walk, not a walk-off home run. The walk-off home run was featured in podcast number 12, maybe, with Bobby Denier. A walk-off, bottom of the 12th, three-run tater. How exciting is that? And broadcast by Hall of Fame legend Harry Callis. I'm telling you what, that was awesome. So, um, I'm just going back, trying to uh, do a little break at, without anybody on the other end. So, it's just me on podcast number 14. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to start putting together some, hopefully, uh, people on the podcast that were good friends with uh, Dave Nelson. And I'm going to try to line up some of those guys because it's coming up on the two-year um, anniversary of Nellie's passing. And I want to talk about Nellie because that's the whole reason I did these podcasts. So I'm going to see if Bob Solis can get together with me on some Nellie stuff. And uh, maybe Jeff Newman. And I know Craig Sean and I will talk. And uh, also on uh, upcoming is Greg Harris, who <laughs> will talk to Greg on podcast number... 15, and uh, I think that was uh, Jerry McNerney. Now, who in the world knows that catcher, Jerry McNerney, the White Sox? I guarantee nobody else has ever heard of him. Anyway, those are some of the things that are coming up, and this is segment one of podcast number 14. There is no other number 14, not Kenny Boyer, not anybody else but Ernie, Mr. Cub, another guy who you don't have to have two names all you got to say is, Mr. Cub, I've got an old bat, which may be a game-used bat of Ernie's, signed Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks. i got a lot of Ernie signatures. Got to love Ernie. Um, I'm reading a book about Ernie. It's taken me about a year to get through the book. And uh, a good buddy of mine gave me that book. And, uh, you know, I just want to finish his book. I'm halfway through. I've been halfway through for a year. It's called Let's Play 2, The Legend of Mr. Cub. The Life of Ernie Banks, and it's by Ron Rappaport. Ron Rappaport. Uh, good book. So, if any of you Cub fans out there or any baseball fan wants to read uh, an interesting uh, portrayal of the year, early years of Ernie and the Negro Leagues coming up through uh, Dallas, Texas, give it a shout-out to uh, Ron Rappaport. Go get his book. Paperback is available. I'm sure it's a good read. Anyway, enough of that. He's not a sponsor. I have no sponsors. Every... Every time I say anything, it's for free. So, uh, although Papakino and I are working on a deal, Papakino's Pizza is soon to open as soon as we get this COVID-19 under control. So that's it for segment one. You guys are great. Uh, this lasted about 10 minutes. I'm going to have segment two last about 10 minutes, and uh, then we're going to uh, finish it up in segment three, which could go on forever. You just don't know. So on the lighter side of baseball... Yes, baseball. This is Jamie Reske, just hoping to entertain somebody out there uh, during this um, little quarantine that we're under. So let's talk in a few minutes in segment two. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.
back. We are on segment two of the lighter side of baseball. Not to be confused with my other show, the lighter side of sports, which we don't have any sponsors for that either. Don't even have a show. The format is the lighter side of baseball. And as I said, this is episode number 14, season number two. And uh, just listening to segment number one, uh, which... You know, every podcast does it differently. Sometimes I do it all at once. I never edit it. It goes on too long, I know. But, hey, it's my podcast. So that's just the way it goes. And, uh, you know, I try to tell a joke or two, but I really don't. If you want to hear a joke, listen to Mrs. Maisel on Netflix. That's a great show. Anyway, um, no, I'm not a stand-up comedian. You should be able to tell that by now. But I am able to go back sometimes, uh, especially when I do a podcast alone, and listen to some of the mistakes that I make. And remember, I had uh, Bush 43 bombing Kuwait. I don't think anybody bombed Kuwait. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I think it was Baghdad, but I think that was Bush 41. Now, enough for the history lessons on the American war front, on the American social front in baseball. Another another mistake, i got to say. They're chalked up on the scoreboard. Uh, now, this is April 15th, tax day, which has been pushed back, and today, not the other day, today is Jackie Robinson Day. Today, April 15th, every ballpark celebrates Jackie Robinson. Today, not two days ago. So now that we've got that straightened out, uh, there are at least probably a few mistakes uh, during the course of the podcast, but... I rarely go back and correct them, but in this case, I did. Jackie Robinson obviously broke the color barrier. I became the first African-American to play in the major leagues, and it was quite uh, historically significant, obviously. So we'll have a little bit more to say about Jackie in a little while. Uh, As you know, I try to incorporate something on the Negro Leagues in every podcast, or a lot of podcasts, and this is the 100-year anniversary. I've got a call into Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro League Museum. I'm sure he's busy. He's doing interviews. He's quite famous, and uh, this being the 100-year celebration, he's very committed, I'm sure, all over the country, uh, and he's a very, uh, holds himself out quite well on behalf of uh, the Negro League Museum, which is subsidized by lots of people, charitable people in Kansas City and across the country, and by Major League Baseball. So anyway, uh, it's a great place, fun to see, and I'm uh, waiting for Bob to call me back. I know he will any time. Uh, maybe he'll want to appear on a podcast. I certainly hope so. So I said at the early at the beginning of this podcast we were going to have some of uh, uh, acquaintances of Dave Nelson, friends that I got to know through Dave, and uh, we're going to do that. Uh, I apologize if I've confused a few of you. I've gotten a few uh, emails from loyal listeners telling me that I have uh, botched up the, here's another mistake, botched up the sequential numbering of my episodes. So I could review them all if you want to really get bored, but I won't. I will go with the confusion of season two and... Uh, podcast number 11 uh, was on uh, a week before Easter, and that was with Craig Kashan. A week later, Craig and I, on Easter Sunday, did another spectacular podcast. It was great. You need to listen to that one. And I told Craig on that occasion that we needed to keep it down to 45 minutes. Uh, we were only over by 20 minutes, which was pretty good for Craig and me. Then episode number 13, uh, which I called 11, and 11 was with Craig. Am I confusing anybody? Anyway... 
the real number 11 was on April 5th with Craig Kishan, voice of the Milwaukee Brewers and Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I did a podcast with Bobby Dernier. Oh, my God, that was fun. That was great. He is so, he's such a good guy. I got to do another one with Bobby. Uh, that was really 13. Uh, 14 is the one that I'm talking on now. And uh, 15 has not yet come out. And that features none other than the first friend of Dave Nelson's that will be on my podcast. And we may have to break it down into three or four podcasts because everybody loves Nelly, number one. Uh, everybody, especially me, likes to talk endlessly, number two. And third, uh, he's got a lot of uh, friends. So I don't know when it'll end, but all week long, uh, this week leading up into the anniversary of his passing on the 22nd, I've got that right of April, uh, we'll be doing a few different podcasts. So you're going to hear from Greg Harris, a successful attorney and an entrepreneur who has raised a lot of money, and he'll tell you about it, uh, with respect to his project involving uh, commissioning an artist and a number of former major league ball players, and the project is called, uh, and the artwork is called, and it's autographed by none other than Sandy Koufax and others. It's called Jews in Baseball, and uh, it is very popular. And he sold out of the original signatures, and now lithographs are for sale. He's going to give the website, and uh, that's cool. And uh, He's done a lot of good things, and he's an interesting, funny guy. And so you won't believe how he got to know Dave Nelson. I'm just giving you a little tease. I'm not going to do the spoiler. Pretty cool. Uh, I met him on an airplane, and I'll get into that. I've gotten into it before, but I'll get into it a little bit more because we're going to feature a week of Nelly Belly. And uh, so Craig has me beat, man. I mean, Greg, not Craig. <laughs> Craig, too. There you go. Greg Harris, Craig Kishan. And uh, anyway, that's that. And then we're going to uh, hear from Jeff Newman and uh, hopefully Bob Solis again and uh, anybody that I can uh, uh, dig up. Tomorrow, tomorrow on uh, whatever podcast number it turns into, another teammate of Dave Nelson, a teammate from that great Kansas City Royals team in 1976, and even better, in 1977. I don't want to give it away, but he was a catcher. He has a record for the most stolen bases as a catcher in one season. He managed the Royals, and he also managed my family's team that they purchased, the Omaha Royals. So there you go, and I'm not going to spill the beans on John Wathen or anything like that, but John will be appearing in the Dave Nelson week. And uh, we're going to try to get some other people to... Uh, give a little podcast and some of their uh, opinions of, uh, of Nelly Belly. So uh, that'll, be, that'll be a lot of fun. As for segment two, um, COVID virus is still active. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We've got Craig Kashan coming up Sunday. That'll be part of the Dave Nelson week. Uh, Nelly Palooza. And uh, I'll see who else I can dig up to, uh, <laughs> to talk about uh, Dave and... Uh, you know, I, I could get 100 people on here, but A, I don't know 100 people, and B, that might get a little redundant. I mean, he's a great guy and all, but could get repetitive. I don't want to do that. I, I'm repetitive enough by myself. I don't need a bunch of guests being repetitive. So, 
That is the scoop. That's setting the stage uh, for the week, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, so this is the conclusion of um, uh, segment two. And uh, we are back on the lighter side of baseball. That was kind of an abrupt conclusion to segment two, but my goodness gracious, did segment two set up a spectacular segment three. And so segment three is going to kick off uh, what I would like to call, well, I'm not going to call it anything, it's going to be a lot of people over the next week talking about uh, my good buddy Dave Nelson. And it's going to be enjoyable. And the first guest that I'm going to uh, turn this uh, over to and uh, co-host with him is Greg Harris. And I'll give you a little background on on Greg and then uh, uh, the sound may be a little different, but hopefully the quality will be good and the uh, uh, the audible level, the decibel level, whatever level will be about, you know, uh, comparable. But you might have to adjust your computer or your iPad or your phone to maybe compensate for my uh, failings, but uh, at any rate, I never promised to be a production engineer. I've just promised to deliver a fun, entertaining, upbeat, lighter side of baseball, and that's what we're doing, and that's what we're going to do with Greg Harris, and uh, I think Greg's going to do this show and maybe back with uh, whoever he can uh, round up, uh, friends of Dave Nelson, over the course of the week. Uh, we may have a separate podcast to keep the numbers straight and not go on for hours and hours and hours, but... This next uh, segment is uh, about 45 minutes of Greg Harris and me talking about old times. Uh, we got to know each other through Dave, and uh, I'm going to uh, stop talking now and conclude segment three with an introduction of Greg Harris. Uh, we call him Sweet Pea. I'm not sure why we call him Sweet Pea, but be that as it may, uh, here is my time interviewing Greg Harris, thank you. And today we are absolutely lucky to have a friend of mine who I've known since, uh, gee, many Christmas, I can't tell you when, but uh, we probably met in St. Croix. He's a very successful attorney in Chicago. He is an entrepreneurial guy, he's a funny guy, so I told him he had to be funny on this show. We call him Sweet Pea, but uh, his name is Greg Harris, and a good buddy and a good friend of Dave Nelson's. Hey man, how are you doing? All right, Jamie, how you doing? I am doing really good. How's the uh, COVID-19 treating you? And I guess you're at one of your uh, houses outside of uh, Cook County. Yeah, honestly, we are, we're in Scottsdale right now, and uh, I bought a house about a year ago, and we, we you know, gutted it and, and just finished the backyard, and I can't, I feel bad for a lot of people, but I cannot complain to be here during this time. It's, it's really not that terrible, and I'm sorry for everybody else, so. Uh, you know, in Kansas, it's, um, it really hasn't hit very hard. The golf courses are all open. We can go out and you know, play golf, I suppose. If, and where, the way I hit the ball, as I've said before on this show, I socially distance because I'm never near anybody except guys maybe in the other hole. But, uh, you know, as long as you're healthy and your wife and family are healthy, you know, and friends, it's just a tough time. But I figure it's a good way to kind of entertain people a little bit with uh, an hour of on the lighter side of baseball. I try to be light. My kids say I'm grumpy, but how's everything else going down there? <laughs> 
Uh, we both on the grumpy side. Uh, I'll try to be like you. know, that's a tough uh, intro you gave me, so I, I got to try to be funny here. But uh, all things are great. Uh, I don't uh, don't have much trouble, you know, dealing with my limited work that I have with the COVID going on. And uh, I'm just watching the mountains and watching the sun. So let's talk some baseball. Yeah, if two lawyers talking baseball, that should be pretty good. <laughs> you got three-hour show, right? Exactly. We go in until <laughs> the sun sets. Hey, what, uh, what I like to talk about first is just kind of fill me in on, on, uh, on your son's progress. I know he's an avid baseball player. He must have gotten his talent from uh, Julie, your wife. But uh, what's going on with, uh, with him and with the, just the family? Yeah, he, uh, he definitely got it from her, she likes to say anyway. But uh, he, uh, he played high school ball, and then he played college ball, D3, and went to uh, Oberlin College in uh, just uh, right around 30 minutes outside of Cleveland. And uh, amazingly enough, uh, it, it is not known as a baseball school. Who'd have thunk it? Oberlin College. Uh, but his freshman year, they, they won the conference championship. First time uh, any men's team in the school history won any sport uh, conference championship, so that was kind of a big deal. Uh, since then, he's uh, gone, you know, four years to Oberlin. He spent a summer, or a, a one semester, rather, in Cuba. He played with a bunch of Cuban players out there for a semester and really uh, did well there, and a few of those guys got drafted and, well, defected. Uh, the stories are amazing. And uh, now, actually, he graduated and gave it up against my advice, you know, being a being a lawyer, working, all that, I said, you know, go play some more. Play in Europe. Do whatever you want. You've got plenty of time to work. And uh, he was just uh, he was just ready to make some money. I don't know why. I think that's a mistake. How about you, Jamie? Well, I don't know. We all retire sometime. You know, some of us in Little League, some of us in uh, American Legion. I managed to sit on the bench for two years in college. And I'm getting ready in a couple of days to uh, – to do a podcast with somebody that uh, you've been friends with, Jeff Newman, down in your neck of the woods and uh, former coach with uh, Nelly. Mm -hmm. uh, he played on TCU when I was watching every game at SMU. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, the, uh, you know, it's always tough to hang it up. But, man, it happens, uh, it happens to everybody. You I, know, know how, I know how Sam got into baseball. How did you get the bug? Well, let me, let me just tell you one more thing. When you say it's tough to hang it up, you know, it is, it's very tough when you're a player to hang it up and realize you're not that good. But the amount of tears that the fathers shed when, they, when their senior son is done with college is just unbelievable. Just grown men yeah. crying like babies because they're not going to be able to watch any more games. And a lot of these dads actually would come out the years after their sons were done playing just to watch these other kids, you know, play. Yeah. Well, um, you, you just can't give it up. It's interesting because Bob Solis and his son Sammy were on, and you know Sammy pitched at least for four years right? to get back into the swing of things next year after his arm uh, hopefully gets stronger. But, yeah, it's interesting to listen to Bob talk about, you know, his experiences, and that's exactly right. I mean, I'm not sure he's – I think he's probably more uh, disappointed that Sammy's not playing this year than Sammy is. Oh, yeah, it's just crazy, just crazy. But uh, – and I guess that's like, you know, you asked about how I got into it. And it's, I think most of us get it from our dads. Um, you know, I, I was north side of Chicago, Cub fan. And uh, from the day I was born, you know, my dad was taking me to baseball games. And 
And he was, you know, really teaching me the game because I was small, just like my son is small. So when you're small, you either got to be, you got to be fast and smart. And that's your only way you're ever going to get further in baseball when you're small, in my opinion. So uh, just taught me to be really smart and uh, um, just, you know, bringing your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to the games back then and uh, sitting there trying to get a doubleheader day. So nothing better than Wrigley Field when you're, when you're a kid. Um, but that kind of, when I got a little bit older around, you know, 12 or 13, I would take the train down myself and we used to, uh, pick up the seats at the end of the game. We would pick up the grandstand seats, you know, flip them up so that the stadium cleaners could sweep the floors in the grandstand. And that would give us a free ticket to, uh, another game. So I could basically, uh, buy one ticket for the year and I would do that the rest of the season and have a season ticket. See, so. when, when you're 13, the I'm sure even before you were 13, this entrepreneurial bug that you have, and, and you do have it, and I admire that, uh, <laughs> led, to, led to a season ticket in the friggin' bleachers. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah, well, the funny thing was, it, it was not only a season ticket, but I would push up two rows some days, and I'd end up with a bunch of these extra tickets. So, yeah, the entrepreneurial side came out. I started selling those and making some bucks for some peanuts and dogs <laughs> there you go well you know I, I know that you're good friends with uh and we have a mutual good friend that passed away almost two years ago to the day and that's uh dave david earl nelson and uh you know i met him on an airplane you got to know him in an even goofier way why don't you tell us about that yeah well it, it was funny because when not funny but when he passed away i was reading on his facebook book page and and everybody would tell the story of how they met him and the stories were crazy and I think um, an executive of the Brewers came up with the line that Davey took the opportunity to turn a casual uh, friend a casual introduction into a lifetime friendship and um, so that's pretty much uh, my story was uh, I love baseball so I'm picking up the seats going to all the games then when I turn 16 I get my first real job as a peanut vendor and uh, I was a peanut vendor for the Cubs and also the White Sox. And Davey happened to be a uh, first base coach for the White Sox at that time. So I was probably 17, and you get to the park early, and the crowd's not even around, and you're just killing time until it's time to get your work assignment for the day. And we're sitting there, me and my buddy Mark Lieberman, who's been to St. Croix as well. Right. Uh, we're sitting there watching, um, you know, the what's going on in the field, and all it is is Davey's out there with two bat boys, and he's just taking his own time, you know, the first base coach of the White Sox at the time, just hitting them these sky-high pop-ups and teaching them how to catch these pop-ups. So uh, turns out he hits one fat, goes into the stands, stands are empty. So me and my buddy Mark walk over. We pick up the ball, toss it back to him, and he says, hey, you guys play baseball? And we say, yeah. And he says, bring your glove tomorrow. Next thing you know, we're on the field, you know, a couple vendors, a couple hours before the game on the field. He's hitting us pop-ups. It turned into catching batting practice, you know, me standing next to Yaz in the outfield, catching some BP, uh, dealing with, you know, Minnie Minoso, uh, where he's hitting ground balls and I'm taking the throwback from the first baseman. Uh, and that was, that was when I was about 17 years old. And from that day on, like you said, uh, we just became lifelong friends, greatest guy in the world. That is a really cool story that uh, I, I knew the uh, I knew the vendor 
story or I knew part of it, but I didn't, uh, I didn't know that you got to get out there at Comiskey Park on the, uh, on that great turf. And my favorite ballpark in the history of my life, there was no place better to me than 35th and Shields. And yeah, it was, it was dirty though, huh? <laughs> right. You could smell, it smelled so different from any other ballpark. My dad and I used to go there all the time. He'd smoke a cigar at the games, and we just, uh, you know, it was a tremendous deal. And then, of course, Nellie ends up coaching, uh, I think, in the early 80s and was there for the 83 championship drive that they had that ended, unfortunately, with the Orioles and that horrible one and nothing loss in the 11th inning. But were you working in 83, or had you gone on to bigger and better things? Yeah, no, I was working from um, time I was 16 – so I was born in 65. So 1981 up through the first year of law school in 1990, I, I was a vendor and I, you know, you graduate from peanuts to hot dogs to ultimately beer. And um, after my first year of law school, I had to pick a law firm where I could clerk at that was walking distance from Wrigley. So I would go, you know, bust my butt at this law firm from eight in the morning till noon and make $24, you know, you know, working there as a clerk, and then I'd walk over to Wrigley and make 300 bucks selling beer. So, um, I don't right. know. I should have kept right. up with the beer. So, you know, we both have season tickets at, at Wrigley, and for years and years, I the only person that I knew out there that I'd ever see was you, because you seemed to be, you would sit in so, a lot of different places, but also Lloyd, the beer guy that did a couple books on the vendors at Wrigley and the vendors at Comiskey. And I, you know, we're getting ready to do this show today. And as I said to myself, there are a lot of people that know Lloyd. I want to ask if you knew Lloyd, if you know the guy that I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, what's weird about the, the vendor world is you, you see a lot of people, but you never talk to a lot of people. So you know them by face. Sometimes, you know, their names, there's a few, you know, legends like, uh, uh, the black guy, Dennis, whose arms were just like oh, yeah. just pythons. I know who um, you're talking about. You know, yeah, exactly. I mean, you didn't know the name was Dennis, but uh, a few legends. And then there's the lifers that are there. And, um, but yeah, so uh, the vending world, uh, that was another, you know, entrepreneurial thing where when I first started, I mean, it was a job, it was a real job. But when I first started and you were working at uh, Comiskey Park, they used to pay you in cash. And, you know, 16 years old and I'm walking home or taking the L home, bad neighborhoods with, you know, $300 in cash on me every night. Uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, uh, uh, I was very worried about doing it. Oh, yeah. But you'd go to check out, and this is Chicago in the old days, and, you'd, you know, they'd mark how many loads you did and how much you made. And you made $300 and this guy, Elmo, would do the taxes. They'd take out your taxes right there and he would take out a quarter. You know, if you tipped them good, he'd take out a quarter in taxes. Not 25%. Yeah. I mean, a quarter. Um, you know, old Chicago with uh, whoever ran the, uh, the vending world there, which I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and did it, was there a hierarchy as to the beer you were hawking? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's how it led into meeting Davey is because I wasn't old enough to sell beer. So if I wanted to get a good item to sell at Comiskey Park, it was based on when you got there in line. So we would show up, you know, three, four hours before game time, put our stuff in line, and then we'd, you know, kill a few hours watching, watching the players and stuff. 
So um, that's what you had to do to get the good item. Oh, that's a riot. That is great. Well, fast forward to St. Croix. We're skipping all the successful verdicts a big-time lawyer in Chicago got. But let's skip ahead to, uh, to St. Croix because, uh, you know, we went – I was working as opposed to you, so I didn't get to go every year. But I started going, I don't know when, in the 2000s. But tell us about how you got started in that deal and um, how Dave featured uh, – featured you and and your milwaukee brewer buddies yeah well I, I think what happened is i didn't go for a number of years and then one one year i think the the brewers were in town in chicago and we were at dinner i think you were there you were there at dinner about six of us i think um your son was there okay. and um davy mentioned the outing and said you know we should go so so we went first year uh, so this is about 25 years after i met davy or 20 years, something like that. Anyway, we went, and um, uh, like I heard on one of your other podcasts, it was a true great experience because the island is tiny, and these ballplayers are trapped at our mercy to, to hit them with whatever questions we want to hit them with, and, and you're all stuck in the same hotel. Um, so, yeah, it was just a, just a great time. But that's how Davey, uh, the first time I went, and, you know, Davey got me involved. Um, I give a little trivia that I heard in St. Croix. Maybe you know the answer. Uh, this is from uh, Ken Griffey Sr. was there. And he said, uh, name the five Georges on the 1977 Reds. Oh, man. I, I draw a blank after George Foster. Okay, so oh, I'm going to pull. But this is a trivia question, a new part of On the Liner Side of Baseball. I'm getting asked trivia. That's great. Yeah. All yeah. right, so here you go. You ready? Yeah, go ahead. Let's hear it. Everyone, everyone gets George Foster. That's the easy one. Then there's yeah. George Ken Griffey. His real name is George. Yeah, and I remember Griffey being out there at the uh, right. St. Croix, the uh, Queen Louise. And he's the one that told me the story. That's then correct. Then there's George Tom Seaver. GTS, a great – oh, my God. Let's not talk about GTS wine quite yet. <laughs> then there's George Sparky Anderson. And the, the last one no one gets is a coach, George Scherger, third base coach. So there's your, there's your trivia answer that no one will ever get. That's a great – that's great. Now, the third base coach would be tough enough. But, yeah. you know, you forget Sparky's real name, George, and God love Tom Seaver. You right. Know, that was Nellie's guy and Nellie's wine. And there isn't a better wine that I've tasted besides GTS that's made uh, in Napa. But that's for another day. So you went out there with Mark, your other vendor buddy that you had met at, uh, in that business. And Mark, I've, I've seen around Chicago recently, and um, one of his buddies is one of the managers at Pisano's, which is my favorite pizza place, which we like to talk about food on the lighter side of baseball, because what is better with baseball than peanuts served up by uh, none other than Greg Harris before he could sell beer? Well, Pisano's is up there, and I've had Pisano's a, a lot with a friend of mine out in Chicago. So, uh, yeah, definitely a good one. Um, but, yeah, Mark, Mark's been out to St. Croix, and then, you know, through St. Croix is where I really – because you're trapped on this island with all these ball players. That's where I actually became really good friends with a guy named Doug Davis who pitched uh, 10 years in the majors and, um, you know, ultimately – ran his foundation 
Sports Charitable Foundation, and you've been at a couple of those events. And, um, you know, through that, it just exploded because we had 30 to 40 ballplayers at every event and um, got to really talk about, you know, meeting some great names and hearing some great stories. You know, um, I don't know who was there the year you were there, but over the years we've had, you know, Robin Yount, Fergie Jenkins, Bob Euchre, Lee Smith, Tim Raines, um, Bobby D, um, you know, everybody, you know, Prince Fielder, uh, Ryan Braun, J.J. Hardy, a lot of the Brewers guys, a lot of the D-backs guys, Justin Upton. Um, so, yeah, just, just a that, that – that was a that was a great great tournament and a couple things on that doug davis is a great guy and and you and and doug and the charitable efforts that you went to and are still probably going to are to me legendary and i I don't say that lightly second thank you you know uh the saint croix deal was great and and it was like you said and like i had said you know where else are you gonna get a folding chair and talk to Louis Tiant, Mike Cuellar, and Tony Oliva, and they can't go anywhere. And uh, <laughs> they're just sitting there, you know, talking to a goofy guy like me endlessly about baseball. And third, uh, you're probably being modest because the people that uh, you had at your golf tournament, oh my God. And, and I appreciate you were, you know, you put the groups together and you treated me like royalty. And I appreciated that. I, I can remember that one year, unfortunately, it rained at, at the midpoint, but I played with Mark Grace and then our St. Paul's, Julie and Jamie, and uh, those guys. And, um, man, Gracie couldn't have been nicer. Uh, Tim Raines, who ruined my sports agency business by telling all the guys I represented that they needed to go with his guys. I had a good laugh with Raines. <laughs> the nicest thing, and Euchre became a really – uh, instrumental in Nellie's last few days on earth. And, uh, I've got so much respect for Bob, uh, and got to know him a little bit, but, but I would bring a bat and balls and you know me, I'd get anything autographed I could. And, uh, Euchre in the rain that day, I asked him if he'd sign a bat and he says, yeah, wait a minute. He leaves for about 10 minutes with the bat comes back and says, man, I was, you can't get an autograph when it's raining. I went in the clubhouse, got a towel, and here's a dry bat. I'll sign it back. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine guys doing that? Great yeah, guys. I mean, yeah. I got to tell you, that was sort of an unwritten rule that Doug and I had is you could have the biggest baseball name ever, but if he wasn't a really nice, fun, cool guy, he wasn't coming to our event. Yeah. And um, – you know, especially if you remember our event, you know, we had, we, we played 18 holes, but 14 of them had gimmicks. You know, you're, you're putting with a right. hockey stick and you're, <laughs> we had, uh, one year we had all those ASU sorority girls at every hole and Jeff Samarja, former pitcher for the Cubs and, and Giants, his, his round took about eight hours because he was on every hole gathering phone numbers. So he just couldn't get through the round. I don't think he's former yet, dude. I think he's still pitching for the Giants. Yeah, former Cub, but he's he's still on the Giants. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the other um, thing I was laughing about, I've got, you know, I, uh, Nelly gave me all of his uh, memorabilia before he passed away, and there's so many that you, autographs you can't read. But I laugh all the time. I think about Arizona because, man, some of those guys just can't can't write. And Chris Young, you know, I had to 
figure out 15 different ways. It's like doing a crossword puzzle. And, uh, you know, there's so many guys. I may need to bring all those balls out to you and see if you can. Uh, well, I got a present for you. You're going to love this. So, and since I'm cleaning my house, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to find it. <laughs> Every event that I had, and I did, you know, eight or nine years of the golf outing, and then we did some bolathons and all that. Whenever the players would come, they would, they would, you know, go to the table and they would sign all the memorabilia that we're going to give away and auction off and all that. And by the way, my son, Sam at, at 10 started running those tables and he became the mayor of our events. So all the players just wanted to see Sam. But anyway, one thing that I would make sure to have them sign is basically a sign in sheet where I would have their names typed out and I would have them sign their name over it. So just for this fact, so when the guy like you, 10 years later, says, hey, I don't know who all these people are, I just send them a copy of that PDF, and that there they are. Great. That's great. Well, I remember on a couple of occasions you brought in memorabilia dealers from Las Vegas and some other places, and I can remember those being on display maybe at Doug's house uh, or yeah. basketball, part of Doug, basketball court of Doug's house. How is uh, Mr. Davis doing? He's doing great. He's in Bend, Oregon. He moved from Scottsdale out there. And um, he's, yeah, he's just doing great. He was just in town in um, Scottsdale uh, right before this Corona thing took, took effect. And he spent a weekend here and we did a poker tournament. And wow. uh, he's got five kids now. So, and he's, he's oh. building, uh, you know, <laughs> building stuff in his 30 acres and horses and the whole thing. That's great. So, that is great. Well, we'll have to zoom him in sometime on a podcast. That would be fun to uh, talk about some of the trips that you guys made my wife endure on the way from the Buccaneer to Carambola. After <laughs> some of you had been, including Mr. Davis, had been out all night drinking. Can you still you know, uh, that? <laughs> yeah, we, I don't really drink a lot. Oh, yeah, I do. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> Somebody but, did. We, uh, the first, one of the first nights I met him out there, he was dating Chantel, yeah. who's now his wife. Right. And, uh, she and, and he and me and, you know, a couple of guys, yeah, we had a, we had a ton. And so she ends up saying, I want to carry you on my shoulders around the bar. So she puts me on her shoulders and is running around this bar at, you know, 3 a.m. out in St. Croix. And, uh, you know, so crazy night and all that. So now flash forward about, 10 years. So about three or four years ago, I'm in Minnesota on a, on a, a business trip for my Jews in baseball project. And, and we'll coincidentally, she happens to be in Minnesota visiting her friends. So we meet up at a bar. Uh, one thing leads to another. And she says, you're getting on my shoulders. And she does it 10 years later. She carries me around the bar on her shoulders. She's a trooper, a strong yeah. trooper. Luckily you've, uh, you've, You've uh, done a better job at keeping the LBs off than, uh, than, <laughs> than the other guy on the lighter side of baseball. I'm on the heavier side of uh, – You're the heavier I, side of baseball. That's a, that, I'm telling you, St. Croix was so much fun, and we could probably go on for another hour talking about uh, those guys that came to St. Croix, at least when, uh, when we were there. But I, um, guy, I was thinking about Gary Peters, you know, John Warden, all these guys, um, Randy Hunley when mm -hmm. – uh, when I was talking to Bob, he said that this was the last year of the fantasy camp down there for Randy and uh, doesn't know what's going to happen. But 
you know, between the Cubs and between all of Dave's buddies, it's just fun to talk baseball, right? It's always fun, but especially during these times. Well, let's talk about one of your other entrepreneurial, incredible jobs that you have done. Because uh, it, it seemed to me, my, my observation was at some point, you were kind enough to uh, donate a lot of things to uh, the Queen Louise tournament. But I remember uh, one was a, a, a painting depicting a, a number of the Negro League uh, players, who, by the way, this is the 100th year anniversary of the Negro Leagues. And uh, they're not getting all the publicity that I'm sure they deserve because of this COVID-19. But I remember that print that you were came in contact with and it seemed to be uh, uh, oh kind of a precursor of of your Jews in baseball which is really cool talk about it if you could yeah what happened Jamie is I was in um, this is how the whole idea uh, came to fruition I was in Cooperstown with my son Sam he was in a tournament uh, he got knocked out of the tournament we go shopping at the stores around Cooperstown and I come across this Negro League print that you're referring to and it was uh, a painting by artist Ron Lewis who had done the 500 home run club the 3000 hit club all the the great baseball paintings and he painted this picture of all the Negro League stars and he had them like seated on you know on, on a, a bench like a group photo and they were signed by 20 of these guys and it was done in 1995 and by the time I got my hands on it in 2008 um, it was uh, 15 of them were deceased and it was awesome. So I bought it for myself and then I bought another five of them figuring I'm going to donate them to various charities. So I put one out at the first year at uh, Doug Davis's foundation. And um, I remember Billy Hall from the Brewers was there. Yeah. He was one of the players. And so it's displayed and we're at the dinner and that's going to be one of the live auction items. And so before the dinner, there's cocktails, there's this. And Billy keeps coming up to me. He says, dude, I got to go. And I'm not leaving until I get that painting. So you got to start this auction now. So, <laughs> so we eventually, we, we start the auction. And um, the bidding started at 700 bucks. And so he bids 700 The lady next to him, you know, 800 Because she's going to flip it in her own charity auction. That's what she wants it for. I got you. And they're standing right next to each other. So he goes, they're awesome. I mean, it was an awesome project. Really. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so he goes, 900. She goes, 1,000. He looks her in the eye and he goes, 3,000. Are we done? And that was it. Sold. That's so he, great. So anyway, he, he takes that. The next year, it goes for a lot of money. And then it clicks because I'm Jewish. I'm like, if I can do this same concept with Jewish baseball players, it would be amazing, and I guess I could say this, you know, us Jews have some money. It could raise a lot of money for charity and all that. So uh, it took about three years to get the project done, and it's, um, it's a beautiful painting by Ron Lewis. We turned it into a lithograph. We have uh, the original. We, turn, you know, or we turned it into 500 lithographs. They're all hand-signed. Sandy Koufax, Al Rosen, um, Ryan Braun, Kevin Euclid. Um, We've even have a place in there with some people in the stands. Larry King's in there. Rob Reiner's in there. They signed it. Um, and over the course of the last six years or so, uh, we've made over a half a million dollars for various causes. 
and um, a little little promo, yeah, uh, drum just, roll. Yeah, let us know how we can, and I I won't do the uh, I could do the Christmas vacation, you know. Hey Russ, give me a drum roll, uh, <laughs> and I won't. Why don't you uh, give um, the listeners a little bit of uh, info on how they can look at your website? Well, if they want if they want to get one of these pieces, they have to go to another company, which took the ba- the balance of the pieces uh, from me. And when I say took them, they, they, they took them as part of a deal. And that, that website is jewishcollections.com. So it's Jewish Heritage Collections is the name of the company, but it's jewishcollections.com and they can order one there. But the reason they uh, got involved with me is they wanted me to do, this is the real drum roll, Jews in Music. So when you get your podcast for the lighter side of music, then you can have me back on and we can talk about that one. There we go. And we'll have you, you and me and Count Basie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, the, um, I've seen the, uh, the, the copies that are on, on the website when you originally started this uh, endeavor. And I know that you personally uh, were involved in tracking down uh, most, if not all, of these guys. What, was, uh, what were a couple of the strangest experiences? And one's got to involve uh, Steve Stone, because I know that you and Stoney have uh, become good friends. And the second, Sandy Koufax. I don't care. Lie. Say whatever you want. I just want to hear about the number 32. To me, the greatest left-handed pitcher ever. Go ahead. Well, Stone, uh, Steve Stone had been to my golf outing many years when I came up with the idea. So I met with, I said to Steve, I said, I got an idea. I want to tell you about it. You know, he says, okay, so we meet at Starbucks and I tell him the idea and he says, you know, this is a great idea. And if, and if you had it sitting here right in front of me and it was done, I would say, this is amazing. But he says, there's no way you will ever get this done. You're never going to get Sandy Koufax to do it because he doesn't do anything. And you're never going to get Major League Baseball to give you licensing to do a project like this, which is, you know, what we needed. Right. So he says, uh, you know, go get your, your thoughts together and we'll talk again. So a couple weeks later, I get my thoughts together. I meet him in this place called Goldman's Deli, which is a tiny strip mall deli in, in Scottsdale. And we're going to meet so I could, we could talk about how we're going to get licensing. So we're sitting there and we're not there, you know, 10, 15 minutes trying to figure out licensing. And I look out the window and on the sidewalk is Jerry Reinsdorf, owner of the White Sox, uh, as you know one of the most powerful guys in baseball. And I say, Steve, you know, that looks like Jerry Reinsdorf. And he says, well, that is Jerry Reinsdorf. I said, okay, interesting. So who happens to be Steve Stone's employer, right? His employer. So he's on, he's standing there pacing the sidewalk. Couple minutes later, I look out the window, Bud Selig shows up at the time, you know, commissioner of baseball. And they come and they sit in the deli as far as they could from us, which was about 10 feet because it was a small deli. Yeah. And Steve goes up, he says, you know, hang on a second. He walks over to their table, tells them what I want to do. He comes back to my table and he says, we got licensing. They loved it. That's and great. That That's was the story great. of how we got licensing. That's cool. And, you know, um, I have the most uh, highest regard for Jerry Reinsdorf. I've known him quite well since Nellie was the coach with the White Sox and I have at least a couple of meals with him a year and he is the nicest and I'm a nobody. 
and I call him up and he'll, he'll uh, figure out when we can get together. And he's just a good guy and as loyal as the day is long. And, and, uh, and Bud Selig was a witness in a case that I tried. And so those are two of the guys that I think the world of and good for you. What a cool way to get the thing really rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Great guys, both of them. And, you know, you, you want to know, um, the Sandy, I could, I could segue, uh, with Steve. Um, so now we got licensing. Now we got to get Colfax to agree. Yeah. And at first we decide, okay, we'll get Colfax. And then of course all the other players will just fall like flies after knowing he's in it. Well, unfortunately we could never get to Colfax. Even, you know, Fergie Jenkins, one of my, my guys tried to get to him. So we decide to do what any you know Jewish person would do. We decide we're going to get everybody else and then guilt Sandy into doing it. So we spend about a year getting everybody, or six months getting everybody else. We go back, me and Steve, we say, all right, how are we going to get Colfax? And we, we have lunch. And then Steve calls me an hour later and says, you're not going to believe this. Sandy Colfax just called me because Steve put out a feeler call. Right. And then in, within an hour, Colfax called him and said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, awesome. Steve, whenever I tell the story, he says, make sure to tell people, this is like a copyrighted thing almost. Yeah. Sandy said, I'm only doing this because of you. That's great. Because <laughs> of Sandy Colfax. So yeah. And, and how many Jews that were alive did you have in this project in, in addition to the folks in the stands, how many right. players were you able to get? There were 26 uh, players um, there were, that, are in, that are in my piece. And there were maybe at the time about 30, 35 total. So right. I got most of them and, and, and the others, most of them you'd never have heard of. And no disrespect you know, one day in the big leagues and you're a big leaguer. Right. Um, but I got, you know, pretty much every name you, you'd want in there. That's um, you know, so it, it all worked out. And so now Jews and music, how's that project going? Or is it, I know I have well, literature from you, my friend. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm, uh, I'll get you on the air now and try to hit you up, but, uh, I'm just starting it. I've got, uh, uh, Adam Sandler, uh, is my first, Target, even though he's not a, a known first as a musician, but he's on my list first. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting started rounding up the celebrities, and I've got a lot of interest from all the people that bought the baseball one that want to contribute. Uh, but the beauty to me of the music one is that if you think about it, the baseball project was pretty well received and earned 500000 and continuing. And now you switch over to music, you're going to have double the audience you know, you know, men and women, right. uh, more people like music, uh, et cetera. I'm sure we're planning on making at least a million dollars for the causes. That's so. great. That is really good. That is good. And so what else are you doing with your time? I mean, it seems like, uh, you're the most energetic guy, uh, right <laughs> now during the, uh, staying at home and being quarantined, but, uh, any other projects on the horizon that you can talk about? Um, no, uh, that's <laughs> how's that's that for a than, Yeah, that's cool. No, uh, I'll do, I'll, I'll do this. I'll give you, I, since you didn't ask me about law and I'll give you one, my favorite lawyer story. All right. 
<laughs> All right. So, uh, and I'll make a deal with you. You never yeah. sit down, you never have a conversation with lawyers, but don't try to, you know, well, you listen to my story. Yeah, you had Bud Steele again, your jury. So. Yeah, man, that was. I mean, as a witness. Go ahead, dude. All right. I'm not going to tell you about the case, but I'll just tell you it was, a, it was a minor case where when you're picking a jury at a multi-million dollar case, you're very careful about your juries. And this is about one of my earlier trials, and it was a very small, you know, fender bender type case. And so we're picking a jury. And you don't, not that you don't care as much, but the judge is pushing you through and you're just trying to get 12 jurors in the box. And so the way it works for those non-lawyers out there is, you know, the judge asks a bunch of general questions to people. And then, you know, uh, you get all the answers and the lawyers kind of pick who they want or who they're going to let go. So one of the questions the judge asks after asking all the general questions is, she says, you know, we're going to go uh, have this trial. It'll be, you know, two weeks long. Is there any reason that anybody cannot serve on the jury? And this one woman raises her hand and she says, okay, ma'am, you know, well, why can't you serve? And she says, well, you know, I work at 6 p.m. And I really can't be late. I work at 6 and I, I would have to go, you know, to get there. And the judge says, well, don't. And the lady says, I'm not trying to get out of this. I really want to be a juror. I'm just letting you know I got to be at the job at 6. And the judge says, well, that's fine. You know, we're, we're here from 9 to 4.30. We leave at 4.30 prompt. You know, you'll have plenty of time. And the lady says, that's all great. But my job is that I'm a clown. And it takes me about an hour and a half to an hour 45 to get my makeup on. And I really want to be a jury. So what I'm going to have to do is I'll put the makeup on in the morning, sit through the trial, and then I can go right to my job. <laughs> and, yeah, and so I'm thinking, I think this is the greatest thing ever on this small trial. Like, could you imagine a witness says something that's like bad for your case and, and the clown juror, like her flower wilts yeah. or something like that? <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, the other attorney excused her, which I was very disappointed about, but that would have been my first case ever to have a full blown clown in clown outfit on the jury for two weeks. Well, here's here's a segue back to baseball. And, oh, and back to Sorry. back to Comiskey Park. Remember Andy the Clown? I know yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Andy the Clown would go out to Comiskey Park. You know, he had that stupid flower. He'd go up to the girls. He'd show them the flower. They'd take it, and only half of it would end up in their deal. And then he'd spray them with water, and he did all the other stuff. Uh huh. So how many people are going to be able to come up with a clown in a jury box? And get back to baseball, buddy. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's why you uh, get the big bucks for this. Yeah, the lighter side of uh, the practice of law. Oh, my goodness gracious. When was your last jury trial? Uh, my last one was uh, 2018 against um, Chicago Transit Authority, which is the public transportation. So oh, I, I like good. to uh, think of them good? as oh, – go ahead. Is that what led to your Scottsdale house? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, I have a, 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 you know, a putting green that I like to say is sponsored by the CTA. There you go. <laughs> I know. Well, you've had a spectacular career in a lot of different things, starting with you know, flipping seats at Wrigley to selling peanuts, going to beer, getting on the field. I got to tell you, Nellie never uh, hit fungos to me, dude. That's pretty cool. Oh, it was awesome. That is it was great. awesome. Hey. Let's wrap this up with 
memorabilia. I know somewhere along the line, besides the uh, uh, Jewish baseball uh, picture, you got to have a favorite piece of memorabilia, or do you just sell it and not collect it? And I, by selling it, I mean charitably auctioning things off. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really. I, I either keep it or I I donate it, but uh, I do keep a lot. And um, God, I know I have a. Uh, something that's not valuable at all that that is one of my favorites uh it's a cub convention pass so that you know the lanyard with the plastic uh emblem that says cubs convention pass or whatever and i got it autographed by milt pappas oh yeah and, um if you remember uh and if he was still living and you talked to him for five seconds he would tell you in the first five seconds he was on the verge of that perfect game Yep. And he had, uh, I think he had uh, a possibly an 0-2 or a 1-2 count and threw three borderline pitches that Bruce Fremming uh, called each of them a ball. And if you've talked to Randy Hunley, he'll tell you any one of them could have been a strike, the catcher. But anyway, uh, That's great. He, he hates Bruce Fremming, so I had him sign uh, the Cubs convention pass. It was a strike, you effing dick. <laughs> well, and Bruce Fremming. Uh, for a long time, would play in uh, Nelly's golf tournament up at Whistling Straits. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure he was any more popular on the uh, celebrity golf cir circuit than he was with, with Milt. Milt Pappas, for some reason, and you know my, my seats have moved at Wrigley through the years, but I started out near the left field or the right field foul pole uh, near some of your vast seats that you have all over the ballpark and I moved now I'm behind the uh, on deck circle and of course there's no baseball but somewhere in between there the Cubs used to give Pappas and his kid maybe uh, tickets and so Milt would sit in front of me once in a while maybe 10 times a year and some lady that was on the other side of me asked me uh, she said I've heard this guy talk did he play baseball I go yeah he did he was a pretty good baseball player and and his name is blah 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 and she goes well would you ask if he would would please give me an autograph and I go why are you I, I don't know the guy you asked yeah, right, right. <laughs> but, but uh now that's I know you know this is an easy trivia question who was Pappas traded uh uh for in the, uh, Frank uh, Robinson Reds. yeah yeah yep but, you know, why wow, you put me on a spot? The only guy to win the AL and the ML MVP, I think, was Frank Robinson, not Mel Pappas. And you know, as long <laughs> as we're on bad trivia, who did uh, the Cubs give up, uh, or they gave up Lou Brock for who? Uh, was that Ernie Broglio? See, you're all over it, dude. <laughs> you win the prize, free pizza. Yep. But my trivia uh, knowledge stops in 1990. So anything after 1990, forget about it. Yeah, well, that's a cool bit of memorabilia. Mine is I did a interview of Dick Hauser the spring after they uh, won the World Series, so the spring of 86, and we played it for my law firm seminar because we had represented the Royals. And I tell you what, it, it, not only was Dick Hauser a great guy, but he, again, the, the show could be called One Degree of Dave Nelson. Hauser when Nelly was a rookie with Cleveland, came up to him and said, dude, where'd you get that glove? And uh -huh. Dave said, well, I've had the glove forever. And Hauser goes, you, you know, you're in the big leagues now. You need a different glove. And 
Hauser gave him his game glove, and I'm sure he had a contract with Wilson or Rawlings, but Nelly never forgot that. And Hauser, what a great man. And uh, wow, it's just a, a fun little video clip that I've got, even though the, it sounded like a hurricane coming in. You know, back then, my video guy wasn't too good at cutting the wind out. But uh, anyway, this has been fun, dude. I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule. All right. Thanks, Jamie. It was awesome, as always. It was fun. We'll do it again. Maybe we'll get uh, Doug or his wife. Maybe just uh, his wife would be more fun on the on the podcast. But uh, She hey, could give you the lighter side of baseball wives, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll tell you what. And, and for all of you out there listening, on Zoom, I can see Sweet Pea. And I'm not sure where we all came up with the Sweet Pea, but it's part of his email. <laughs> But I can I can sit there and watch him, but I've cut off my uh, my video feed, so I've got the advantage. Hey, buddy, thank you very much, and uh, stay stay on the line for a second while I wrap it up. All right. All right. Sure. Thanks a lot, so, man. For Greg Harris, a very successful entrepreneur, but also uh, a great lawyer. This is Jamie Retsky on the lighter side of baseball. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have, and. Uh, Look forward to having Greg back soon. Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a safe day out there, and uh, we will talk to you later. Bye.